Hello, and welcome to Inside Retail, the podcast brought to you by Edited, the world's leader in retail intelligence, where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. I'm your host, Grace Hill, and from fashion, beauty, and homeware, I'll be chatting to leading experts in the industry to shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. On today's episode, we are diving into the topic of digital marketplaces. These can range from Amazon and Zalando in the West to JD and Alibaba in Asia Pacific. They make up 60% of all e-commerce sales across the globe, according to Huge Inc.'s consumer research. To discuss the topic of how brands can approach and maximize this channel, we were joined by Rebecca Lacerda, head of digital marketplaces at Crocs. Crocs has had an interesting journey over its 20-year life. Its iconic, one-of-a-kind shoe has been seen on the feet of the world's most famous people. It's loved by Gen Z and continues to grow from strength to strength, with the business looking to more than double in size in the next five years. We discuss the different marketplace models, the way brands can engage with them, and ultimately the value that these models can drive for the brand across new and existing geographies. So Rebecca, the one thing that we do with all of our guests is We do our own version of Vogue's 73 questions, which is more like 7.3 questions. So I'm going to kick off with, could you describe Crocs as a business in three words? Innovative, unique and cool. Yeah, those those would be my three words. And do you wear your Crocs with socks or no socks? No socks. And obviously another thing you sell on your website is charms. So charms or no charms? Charms. I like charms. I think it's pretty cool because you can make it... Unique. You make your own Crocs really, really your own, you know, so you can do anything you want with them. And what metric or KPI would your co-workers say that you are obsessed with? Happiness. I hope they would say that. At least I'm obsessed <laughs> with happiness. And I hope that they see that, that they feel it because uh, my purpose is to be happy and to contribute to other people's happiness. The work will be done and the business will, will go, sometimes it will go well, sometimes it will not go so well. And, and that's life. But if people are happy, then I think that I'm doing my job the way I should be doing. And what emoji do you use 90% of the time? I'm expecting maybe a sunshine or a smiley face from you. Yeah, you know, I use the uh, the, the winky one, but with the tongue out. Because <laughs> yeah. I think it's more provocative. The wink is, uh, you know, but with the th- tongue out, uh, it's my favorite. I use it a lot. And TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. I'm 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 too old to TikTok. <laughs> Obviously, I have a TikTok account because uh, I need to to keep up with the trends and stuff. And and I see that young people are in love with it. Mm-hmm. But I'm an Instagram girl. I, I wasn't able to adapt to TikTok. So to kick off, I would love for you to tell us a bit about your background in retail and about your role at Crocs as head of digital marketplaces. Sure, my pleasure. So I actually worked for a few years in the sporting goods industry. I had the chance to work for Nike and also for Adidas uh, in, in, in different countries. So majorly my experience is concentrated into Latin America, Brazil more specifically, which is where I'm from. Back in the day, I was actually working in merchandising, retail strategy, business strategy in the offline world. So I was at a point a merchandiser responsible for building a profitable assortment for bricks and mortar business for Adidas in Brazil, for instance. And then I made a career transition and I started my own thing. I made some consultancy uh, jobs and, and I have I have had a company which was a artificial intelligence company that was used consumer data to predict 
consumer behavior. So with that, I started to engage a lot with IT technology, and that's how I kind of squeezed myself within the, the digital world. And I joined Adidas again to lead search optimization for online multi-brand channels. And I was responsible for expanding the global Adidas program for marketplaces. And now I'm at Crocs, where I'm responsible for not only the expansion, but how we engage, how we uh, segment our products and, and actually run the business. But I'm focused on two specific markets, which are Latin America and uh, EMEA. Wow, what a wonderful CV and experience and variety for the brands that you've worked for, the regions, and and also kind of that traditional retail and merchandising experience and then filled with that that tech perspective. So obviously you cannot ignore the fact uh, that marketplaces are dominating in the world of retail with um, some recent reports saying that 60% of all e-commerce sales across the globe are currently coming from marketplaces. So I'd love to know from your perspective, what are the key considerations that brands need to take when determining which marketplace to engage with and leverage? Marketplaces are shopping centers, but online. It's the same concept. You go, you go to a place and you have several different stores and brands and you can do tons of things and you have a, a variety of products in your basket from different brands. So what people are doing is actually repeating the same shopping center movement that we saw Online. So marketplaces are exactly that. They are platforms that will, and many of them will actually even offer services and so on and so forth. Like a shopping center would offer, you know, the playground to the kids or people would go to the movies and buy something and, and et cetera. So the level of conversion is super high and uh, it's amazing how it's growing. And the predictions are that something like 70% of the absolute growth uh, is going to come from marketplaces or multi-brand channels uh, the majority of them marketplaces, right? So we cannot ignore that uh, trend. That said, companies need to decide with which marketplaces are they they are going to engage and and how they will do that. And I do not believe that there's a, a straightforward answer in terms of marketplace A, B, and C are the right ones because it depends on what you want to do. So you need to categorize them. So there are marketplaces that are authenticators. So you need to be there because they are, I don't know, they will allow you to reach out to an audience looking for, I don't know, something cool, fashion, premium or whatever. There are marketplaces that are the rich uh, driven marketplaces. So basically the ones that will allow you to touch upon a gigantic audience you would never tap into. So you need to categorize what is the role of each one of those marketplaces and how you're going to play with them. What technology and logistics considerations really should be uh, taken uh, by brands when they're assessing marketplaces to engage with? You need an integrator and you need to make sure that the integrator you decide to use or the integrators you decide to use are integrated with the marketplaces you want to uh, tap into. And just picking up on that, Rebecca, for our listeners that may not know what integrations are required um, this can involve connecting product data and inventory to marketplaces in real time to make sure that there's like a seamless customer experience with your products wherever they are. 
So this is a major one because uh, an integration can take a, a while. So for instance, one of the challenges that we had recently is that we wanted to engage with a certain marketplace and we used to work with a specific integrator. And this marketplace was not integrated yet, at least not the fulfillment part, which is the logistic part. So this would take us another six months in order to be able to do so. So you can also shift integrators as well. So with, what is the integrator that is go- you're going to use? Is something that needs to be considered. And in terms of logistics, there are a few things that you need to assess because there are marketplaces that will offer you fulfillment service, like Amazon, for instance, they call it FBA, fulfilled by Amazon. And other marketplaces offer the same. And uh, it depends on how efficient are you to deliver and how much are you spending with your own logistics? Because depending on how much you are spending, it makes sense to, to use their logistics services. So a good example is Mercado Libre in, in uh, Latin America is able to deliver faster than, than Crocs and they cost less to us. So basically, if we are going to deliver, our cost to deliver is higher and less in our services less efficient. So it makes total sense to actually put in place what we call the 3PL, which is basically doing this logistics uh, using the marketplace logistics. At what point do you think a retailer would potentially move from having a pure marketplace presence in a region to maybe also offering their own direct consumer channel? When you are uh, driving the marketplace business, First step is to decide, okay, is this an authenticator? Is this a, a, a rich driver, right? So what is the role of this marketplace? This is the first one. Second one is, so how do we engage with this marketplace? You can use 1P, which is what we call, it's, it's a traditional wholesale business. We sell to the, to the retailer, the retailer sells it to the consumer. Or you can use 3P, which is we sell directly to the consumer through that platform through that retailer, right? So how to engage and what is the difference? At 3P, you actually control the experience and you also control prices and marketing and so on and so forth. So you have more control over the products that you are selling. At 1P, you have uh, less uh, stock risk or inventory risk because you do not own the stock. You already pre-sold it, right? But you have uh, less control in terms of prices, product presentation, and etc. So once you have identified what is the role of the marketplace? You need to decide what is your engaging model with that marketplace. And this could be 1P only. So you sell to the retailer. They will sell directly to the consumer and that's it. You can use a 3P only. And usually companies are doing that for uh, online outlets like eBay, for instance. So you basically do not sell anything to eBay. You just have the products online available to the consumers and then you fulfill the order once the order uh, comes in. Or you can have... Uh, the hybrid, which would be the approach that you would have in a Amazon or Zalando, for instance, where you would have an a assortment at 1P and one, one assortment at 3P. And for instance, if you want to control the prices of a certain premium product or something, you simply will offer that as a range uh, extension only via 3P because you are able to, able to control it. On top of that, you can create efficiencies in terms of uh, never miss a sale. So if the 1P inventory is sold out, the consumer doesn't have uh, the inconvenience of not being able to buy because the system is able to shift the, that order into our systems, for instance, or croc systems in this example, and then we are able to fulfill the order with a different inventory. 
I think that this is amazing. And uh, this is one of the, the, of the things that, of the benefits that we get by having a hybrid model, for instance. However, not all of the marketplaces are ready to operate with a hybrid model. Probably it's not the right approach to have a hybrid model uh, all over. So you need to decide how to engage. I guess ultimately the 1P versus the 3P model, though, for a consumer, it looks the same, right? It's a similar experience on that that PDP. They're not going to feel that they're in a different store. So ideally, yes. So if we are doing our homework and our jobs well, it's flawless to the consumer. However, for instance... As I said, 3P or marketplace function, we control, we brand control the prices. 1P or the traditional wholesale, the retailer control the prices. If you decide to change your price, for instance, in your 3P and you do not align that with uh, the retailer, then you will have something like you you go, so I'm a 36, right? Uh, my shoe uh, is the 36 European number. Imagine that you're browsing it. And then you decide to go, okay, it costs like, I don't know, 59 euros. But then you click 36, which is your size. And it says, no, it's actually 69 because, you know, someone decided to change the prices and did a align on them. This could happen. It shouldn't though. But I think that concept of brand expression and, and brands having the freedom to do that through that 3P model, you know, what are the opportunities? Like how... How can you as a brand at Crocs express your brand on those channels? One of the things that I see that could be a good benefit to the brands and also to the retailers is that you are able to capture unforeseen demand. So in a business model like Zalando, for instance, Zalando is is buying a lot of things in advance, like the traditional uh, pre-sold wholesale business, right? So we do the pre-sales, they will buy it. Afterwards, they will sell to the consumer. With the 3P model, we are able to capture the demand that they were not able to foresee. Because imagine that people doing forecasts and creating assortments at Zalando, they are not, they do not have a crystal ball to, to predict everything. So there are trends that they couldn't identify. And we have this uh, product in place. And then you are able to measure Okay, what is the trend that I didn't identify? And then they could even adapt the way they are buying or the way they are building their assortment by learning with the 3P data that they have access to, right? So this is one of the things. Another one is basically when we brand believe that a product makes sense in a certain marketplace for a certain audience, but your counterparts on that uh, retailer or on that marketplace do not agree on that. So they'd say, no, we're not going to buy this in advance. We're not going to take this inventory risk. So you are able to reach a negotiation where you say, okay, offer it though. And once you receive the orders, because we believe it's going to be a thing, then we are able to fulfill that order in, on your behalf. I guess ultimately, like the return on value that a marketplace provides brands and retailers, you've mentioned capturing unforeseen demand, you've mentioned, you know, greater reach. Uh, what other things can you speak to? In terms of data to the brands, it is an amazing source of data as well. Because imagine that and in some industries, more than in other industries, you have a limitation in terms of the data that you get in terms of sellout. So as an example, Crocs sells to Amazon and Amazon sells to the end consumer in the 1P model. The 1P model, I have access to what we call selling data. So everything that Amazon is buying from Crocs, we do not have access to sellout data 
at least not at the level of detail that we would like to have, right? And this is just one example. This happens to footlockers, to uh, Talandos, JDs, all of it. It's the same. They, they are concerned about uh, sharing data, sellout data, right? So with the 3P, you are able to actually track sellout data almost real time. So it's pretty amazing in terms of uh, the data that you can get as well. So what kind of level of access and reporting do you get from marketplaces using a traditional 1P model? 1P, we have access to selling data. So everything that you're just selling to, to that retailer. Sellout is the limitation because usually they will share with you the units that were sold, but not the price. So for instance, you could see a peak in, in a certain product and say, oh, this is a big trend. Or it was just the retailer doing a markdown and you cannot tell that. So you can't differentiate. Exactly. Are you actually uh, gaining market share or your products are not turning as fast as they expected and they are simply putting your prices down and sacrificing their margin to buy some sales? And I think what's what is fascinating is like the data that Edited provides. And that's why a lot of our customers and our clients come to us because they're able to get that insight to the products that are selling out and the price at which they're selling out through the data that we provide. So it gives that kind of additional lens and that extra information to the selling data that you guys have internally to be able to, you know, have your brand on that platform or that marketplace's email blast that they send to their customer base or certain segments. So the fact that you're able to also identify, you know, what are the marketing efforts that other brands that are sharing this marketplace space are engaging with. So for instance, Edited is a tool that would allow us to track what's going on in terms of what, what is what is about us on, on newsletters, our brand or our retailers talking about us on their email marketings and so on and so forth. However, although we have access to that, our power of um, action in the 1P business is not that big because in the 1P business, because we have already sold the inventory, it is uh, the role of the retailer to promote and to do the marketing on that. In the 3P business, though, you have the responsibility, the accountability, and you want the money to do the investment, right? So you can actually leverage this data uh, very quickly. And that's why um, me, the market, my team and, and myself, the marketplace team within Crocs, we work super closely with our marketing team. And uh, we discuss a lot paid media and how we are going to be able to leverage the information that we have to do smart decisions in terms of marketing investment. And how do you see the role of marketplaces differ across regions? That's a good one. Uh, that's a good one because um, depending on the region, the consumer behavior changes significantly. Back to the shopping center, right? Like if you go to the US, it is a thing. People will go to shopping centers all the time. If you go in Europe, it's, it's different. In Germany, we'll literally, we'll, the stores are actually the very old model of like you go in a certain neighborhood and the stores are there uh, in, in the street, right? It's it's a different habit. Although we obviously have shopping centers in Europe as well, the market share is completely different than it is in the US or even in Latin America as a whole in this example. So depending on the on the market, the consumer behavior will, will be different. And then the participation of marketplaces will be different uh, on that account, right? And... Also, the mission or the role of those marketplaces might vary. So as an example, mm -hmm. 
in Brazil, because it is a country that struggles with uh, macroeconomics and, and the, the income that the people have is, is lower when you compare to, to Europe, for instance, credit is more difficult. So if you want credit in Europe, it's very likely that you will have, you have, everyone has a credit card. This is not the reality in, in Latin America mm-hmm. and it's not the reality in Brazil. And we have in Brazil specifically the private labels, credit cards happening. And the private labels would be like you have a retailer. Uh, I can give you a couple of examples in Brazil, like uh, Renner and Riachuelo. They will have their own credit card. So they have kind of a internal bank and they will give a credit card for a person who would never have a credit card from a traditional bank because they have different standards. It's different business, right? Because of that, we are able to tap into an audience that we would never tap into yeah. anywhere else. Because this audience is able to buy on those specific stores with their pri- private label cards, because now they can, yes. but they wouldn't be able to buy a product anywhere else because they do not have credit somewhere else. So it depends. This never, this would never happen in Europe, for instance. It's, it's different. The, the sort of mission and the sort of share of market that you have in Europe is going to be different than the one you have uh, in Brazil. So in this example, this consumer, even though, let's say that this consumer would love to buy in our Ecom. It is, you know, their profile and so on and so forth. They just cannot afford it. They need to use their private label credit card that will, that will give them, I don't know, 60, 90 days to pay, for instance. How have you seen kind of the strength of marketplaces shift over time within Europe? If you look into the US, it is already super advanced, right? Okay. So you'd say the US is the most advanced or China maybe? It, I mean, it's China is super. Like they are in the future. If you compare Europe with US and especially with yes. Asia, you will see that the participation of marketplaces is still, uh, lower, way lower. But I see that this, this is actually going to happen and it's going to become a thing more and more. So for instance, the role of Amazon in the Europeans mind, Amazon is just a platform where you go when you want to have a low price, basically. But this is changing in contrast. In the U.S., it is a convenience to go to Amazon. It's not because of the prices necessarily. People are going to Amazon because they live in a huge country. U.S. is a huge country, so it's difficult to... Your fulfillment is a nightmare in that country, I can tell. So what happens is that Amazon is able to deliver, like one day delivery, everywhere in the U.S. And it's genius that they have... They When they bought the Whole Foods chain, I don't know if you remember that. I was Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. Amazon going to food. They were not going to food. They were going to logistics and to being able to fulfill orders from whatever within the U.S., which is a huge country. In Europe, we have a different reality. And still, Amazon is just a price-driven thing. People will go there for... For pri- more, way more to look for lower prices than to look for convenience, because convenience is something that they can uh, uh, have in other channels as well. However, this is changing now. This is changing because uh, uh, the fulfillment model uh, models are changing and evolving, and also because there's this shopping center movement that I think is going to happen. The convenience part in the in the marketplaces also extends into the fact that you are able to buy from different brands in the same place doing only one payment operation you will put you put your credit card your paypal whatever only once and you are able to buy a product from let's say you are i don't know in a certain platform you talando you can buy levi's you can buy crocs adidas nike you know you but you buy from i don't know seven different brands 
and you will pay, will pay only once for that. So how convenient is that? that? Therefore, I see this going on further and further. In China, it is already, it's gigantic. It's, they are in the future, basically. If you look into things that are happening in China, it's, I don't know, I would say that they are at least at maybe 10 years ahead of us. It's, it is fascinating. And I think like the whole convenience, customer centricity element is so fundamental and critical to why the strength of marketplaces is the way that it is. I guess one thing that I'm really curious to know is how can brands stay up to date with emerging platforms within markets? Or how would you recommend that they do that? So here you go. Uh, if you look at uh, Mercado Libre in Latin America, for instance, they were super fast and they actually figured out logistics in a place that is very difficult to to have that done. Latin America doesn't have this sort of infrastructure that we have in Europe or in uh, or in the US. So to deliver something faster in Latin America costs you more and is more difficult. And although Amazon is already there, we already have Amazon uh, in Brazil and uh, in other countries in, in Latin America. Uh, other countries, I'm not sure. Brazil, for sure, they're already there. Mercado Libre is dominating. It's incredible. So what tactics would you say for a retailer to keep their eyes on those emerging platforms? What resources? Oh, this is a dif difficult question. How to track emerging platforms is a very difficult one, to be fair. Because I think this is how you predict the future and what's going to happen. Well, what I think you can do is to make sure that you have a decent input or decent source of information. Tools like Edit would help you with that, where you can track, okay, what's going on and where is this headed to? So you are able to see, okay, the participation of this marketplace is growing more and more for other brands, but not for my brand because I didn't engage with them. Once you do that, you identify like, okay, there's this platform and apparently it is emerging. I can see by the numbers I have from Edited and other uh intelligence or market intelligence platforms. I'm not engaging with them. Then we should assess, okay, is this an authenticator? Is this a, a rich driver? What is the role that this would play for my brand strategy? And if there's no role, there's no role. But if there, okay, this could be something that would allow me to tap into a certain audience, for instance, then it makes sense. And th this is the role that this is going to play. Do you, from your experiences, see differences in demographics that are engaging with marketplaces versus direct-to-consumer channels? I, I love the, the comparison with shopping malls because it's so similar. There are shopping malls that are, most of the people that will go there, they are families, families with their kids because of the convenience of that shopping mall. Or you, it could be young people because they have an amazing uh, cinema within that mall. So you have completely different audiences in terms of demographics. Same happens to marketplace. We have marketplaces that are highly concentrated into Gen Z, young people. One example of that, about you in Germany, for instance. They, their target group and the audience that they have, they are targeting young people, which is different than the audience that you will tap into in Mirapodo, for instance, just to, to keep with the German example here. In terms of demographics, marketplaces also play a role. So, okay, I will use or leverage this marketplace to tap into this audience, young people or Gen Zs or families and etc. So to wrap things up, two questions. 
First one is, what is the future of marketplaces? It is going to grow significantly. And uh, it's funny because I was in the meeting just yesterday and the head of uh, Europe was in this meeting and, and I made a presentation. He started to ask questions and then he asked, hey, what do you think that is the potential of this business for us in the long run? And my answer was like, hey, I'm not submitting a forecast here. You know, but don't hold me to this. <laughs> but if we do our homework and if we unlock the resources that we need to unlock, we will be able to multiply this by 10 in five years for sure. Because if you look into, uh, predictions that are, or estimations in terms of where the growth is coming from, se- something like 70% of the absolute growth will come from marketplaces and multi-brand channels. And it's interesting because companies are kind of pushing into DTC mono brand, but I see DTC happening when you look into marketplaces as a DTC business, because it's uh, in the end direct to the consumer. But uh, mono brand versus multi-brand, I think multi-brand will will bring a bigger, bigger, bigger growth um, to the brands. And therefore, marketplaces will be amazing. It's the new shopping center movement happening. If you want to know what's going to happen, go to the the data that we have on the 80s, you know, when this whole thing happened. What is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from this episode? Marketplace is an amazing business. I love doing business. I love to engage in things. And I think that we will have good moments and bad moments. What I want to leave to the people is like, be happy if you like marketplaces, if you like work with them, if you like buy through them, go for it. If you rather go to different online stores and buy, you know, seven, seven different, from seven different websites, go for it. If you are more like a bricks and mortar person, go for it. Just be happy. Well, Rebecca, honestly, thank you so, so much for coming on and, and for being such a wonderful guest. It's been fascinating to hear all of your insight and experience really really appreciate it amazing thank you thanks a lot it was a great pleasure thank you for listening to our latest episode of the edited inside retail podcast and huge thanks to rebecca lacerda head of digital marketplaces at crocs for joining us today to see more of edited's insights please check out the link in the description of this episode i'm grace hill and i'll see you next time